starting with verse 40 and going through the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, there are four points to this sermon, and it just turns out that all four of them start with the letter M. First of all, I want you to see the man, the man who was a leper. Secondly, we'll see the master. There are some things very important here that we see about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we will see the miracle. He was cleansed. And finally, the meaning. I think that there is a spiritual meaning. There was a a literal significance to what Jesus told him to do. Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest for a proof to them. Who's the them? And, uh, but then I think that there is also a spiritual application of this that uh, applies to the cleansing, the cleansing of sinners from sin. Many years ago, I heard, uh, a preacher, I've mentioned him before, David Miller. He's still alive. First time I ever saw David Miller was, uh, I suppose, about 1985. And uh, so it's been nearly 40 years ago. At that time, uh, he, there was clearly something very wrong with him. He, was, uh, he went about in a wheelchair, but when it was time to preach... They would, uh, his assistant would lift him up and he could stand in one place and preach. Uh, he couldn't move around. And a few years after that, he fell while preaching. So for probably the last 25 or 30 years, he has preached from a wheelchair. He's a very powerful preacher. I urge you to uh, see if you can find him on YouTube, David Miller. And uh, one of the first times that I ever heard him preach, he he was a fairly young man at that time, and he tells, he told in that sermon how that one day when he was 17 years old, he woke up and he knew that there was something desperately wrong in his body. And uh, that condition that he first detected when he was only 17 years old has only continued to worsen through the years. And uh, he has had to have an assistant when he travels around preaching. He travels in a motorhome, but he has a a full-time assistant who helps him. Uh, 
And uh, he's, uh, but it was that, that that I'm using as an introduction to this sermon. When I was 17 years old, he said, I woke up one morning and I knew that there was something desperately wrong in my body. I think about this man, this, uh, this leper. First of all, I think it's interesting that there was a word that came to mean a person who has leprosy. I've racked my brain and tried to see if there are any parallels to that in, in, um, in modern America. A person who has cancer, we describe as a person who has cancer. We don't call him a cancerous. Uh, a person who has uh, diabetes, ah, uh, there we go, a diabetic. So a person with diabetes becomes a diabetic. Uh, you know, a, a person with a broken collarbone, you just call old man, but that's not exactly the same. Uh, yeah, for the most part, we don't have, we don't have names proper nouns for the people who have a certain disease. We just say, well, he has, uh, you know, he has heart, has heart problems. We don't, we don't call him Mr. Heart Attack or something like that. But here was a man who, uh, and, and in this time, a person who contracted the disease of leprosy just became known as a leper. And uh, from I don't know if you've ever read Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, but if you do, then you will see that whatever he was before became swallowed up in the fact that now he was a leper. If he had been a carpenter before that, nobody was going to buy anything that a leper had made. It was, it was tainted. If he had been a goldsmith before, no one wanted to buy gold from a man who was a leper. And uh, the fact that he was a leper overshadowed whatever kind of great athlete he might have been. The fact that he was a leper overshadowed whatever, if he was a husband or if he was a father or if she were a mother or if she were a, a wife, when she became infected with leprosy, then all of that was left behind, and that person became a leper. I can just imagine what it might have been like. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago, I was looking in the mirror and didn't have a shirt on, and I saw on my shoulder an unusually shaped muscle, or so I thought. But I looked on the other side, and there wasn't a compliment on this side, and I felt it, and, ah, that's not a muscle. That's some kind of a tumor. And I thought, all right, here we go. What, what are the next few years going to look like? I went to the doctor, and the surgeon removed it. turned out that it was just a fatty lipoma. But sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes you look in the mirror, and you see a little spot, and you say, oh, that's kind of an unusual-looking mole. You go to the doctor and find out that it's a melanoma. You're in for quite a ride. And it may not last very long if they haven't caught it soon enough. I remember when Lonnie Ray was in the hospital with 
melanoma six or seven years ago, the doctors told him then, five years ago, you would be a dead man. So just in those few years prior to his having melanoma, there had been treatments that had been developed. But back in 1970, 1985, the year 2000, you look in the mirror, you've got a melanoma like Lonnie Ray had, you're going to die. You're going to die real soon. Can you imagine a young, healthy person um, talking to one of his friends one day, and, and he says, hey, what's, what's that on your neck? It's like kind of a little raised place. It's kind of scaly. You, you better get that looked at. And in the meanwhile, I'm not going to shake hands with you. And uh, so... The process was, it's explained there in Leviticus chapter 13, you'd go to the priest, and if it looked like this, eh, it could be, could be something other than leprosy. But if it looks like that, if the hair in it has turned color, and if it's got these characteristics about it, he's, lep- he's a leper. Now, what, what you've got to do at that point is that you've got to just wear old raggedy torn clothes. You can't keep your hair back. If you're, if you're a woman, you don't keep it back and hidden anymore. If you're a man, your hair just hangs loose and you look, you look like a raggedy person. That's uh, kind of like when you're driving down the streets of Shepherdsville, there are certain men that you see, and when you see them, you know that's a homeless man, and he's not right in the head. And uh, when you're driving down the streets of Louisville, you see certain people, and you say, that's a homeless woman, and she's not right in the head. And uh, the, uh, showing that you were a leper was something that was deliberately prescribed by the Lord. How was the upper lip covered? Maybe it was something white that they put on their lip. But anyway, from a distance, you could see, this is a leper. Stay away from that person because I don't want to get leprosy. When you get leprosy, you've got to be removed from You move from the house and you live outside the camp. And if there are no other lepers outside that village or outside that city, you're going to live alone. And so this man who came up to Jesus was a leper. He had lived that kind of life, and I don't know how long he had lived that kind of life. But before this, we do not hear of Jesus healing anyone with leprosy. But this man knew based on what he had heard about Jesus, that Jesus could do it. And so he comes to Jesus, and he says there in verse 40, he came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him. Obviously, this man doesn't have any kind of sense of, you owe me this. He kneels down. Now, this story is recorded in Matthew and in Luke as well. And in one of those, we read that he fell on his face. So not because he tripped, but because that's a way of showing extreme deference to someone. So probably most familiar in your mind would be those pictures you've seen of Muslim men bowing down and praying in, uh, in their house of worship. And how that they, they don't just get on their knees, but they get down on their faces. And so this man fell to his knees, and then he got down on his face. And he implored him, he, he begged him earnestly and sincerely, if you will, you can make me clean. Now in that, if you will, there is a, 
a strong dose of faith. In contrast to that, you may remember that when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a group of people who came rushing to him, and there was a man who said, I brought, I brought my son to your disciples, and uh, they couldn't do anything with him, but if you can, will you please help him? And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. But this leper was already past the if-you-can stage. He knew Jesus could. And he knows that the only thing that is lacking is if Jesus will. And so he says to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now that's our, that's our glimpse of the man. Now let's turn our attention to the master. And in the next verse, it says, moved with pity. I like that. Moved with pity. This is the kind of master we're dealing with. Not a hard-hearted, ruthless kind of a person, but someone who is capable of being moved with pity. It's a passage of Scripture in the book of Judges where after departing from the Lord repeatedly, God finally says to the people of Israel, You've been seeking after these other gods. Cry out to them for deliverance. I'm not going to deliver you this time. But then they put away the foreign gods and they continued to seek the Lord. And in one translation it says, And when the Lord could bear Israel's misery no longer. He could bear Israel's misery no longer. Then he sent them a deliverer and delivered them out. Um, some of you, most of you probably will have seen the Disney movie, The Beauty and the Beast, one of the greatest animated movies of all time, just slightly behind The Emperor's New Groove, but uh, The Beauty and the Beast. And in that story, a a beautiful young girl named Belle uh, gets held captive by a beast, and uh, he's not nice to her. And so when she has the chance to escape, then she gets on her horse, Philippe, and she rides away from that castle. But as she goes through the woods, there's a pack of wolves that get after her. And Philippe gets scared, and he rears up, and the reins get wrapped around a limb overhead, and Belle is thrown to the ground, and here come the wolves, and it looks bad for Belle until the beast shows up. And this beast, he's so much bigger and stronger and ferocious than the wolves. And there are two things that I love in that scene. The first one is when he grabs one of those wolves by the nape of the neck and roars in the wolf's face. And you can just see the wolf saying, in the words of Scooby-Doo, rut row. <laughs> And then the, then the beast proceeds to whoop up on the wolves. But there are wolves that jump on the beast and they injure him so much that he falls to the ground with a great huff and lies there still. And then we see Belle's face and she is terrified. She is just about to jump on Philippe and ride out of there. But then she's moved with compassion. You've got that scene in your mind and you see how that her 
the expression on her face changes. But he gave his life for me. He came to protect me. And then she goes to him and, and helps him. And uh, <clears throat> so I was talking to Carol and Naomi. Can you think of a scene in a book or a scene in a movie where something like that happens, where there's just a real obvious change that the character is moved with compassion? And Naomi said, oh, in, in The Phantom of the Opera, there is a scene where the phantom has captured Raoul and uh, Christine goes down and and tries to deliver Raoul, but the phantom is very angry and very rude and very surly. And then Christine's heart is changed. And she says, oh, something like, oh, you, you poor person, what kind of a life have you lived? God, give me grace to show mercy to you. And then she kissed him. And uh, it, and then he lets he lets Raoul go. That, just that that sudden change, when she's moved with compassion and thinks, what kind of a life has this person lived with this disfigured face and living in the dark all the time? I think that the the pity, the compassion that Jesus here expressed, was always near the surface of his life, and I think it still is. I think it still is there. So that when this man comes to him and says, if you will, you can make me clean, then Jesus thinks back on what this man has been through, and he's moved with pity. He doesn't just have pity. He's moved with pity to do something about it. And then notice what happens next. It says he stretched out his hand, and he touched it. Now, that was something that you definitely were never supposed to do to a leper. You don't touch a leper. I just wonder how long had it been since this man had felt a compassionate, loving touch. The human touch is so, so meaningful. I'm deeply grieved by the strictures on touch that are becoming entrenched in our society. I understand. When I first started teaching at Boyce College in 2002, when there were female students that I loved and female students who loved me, oh, Dr. Oreck, they would say when they saw me on campus and throw open wide their arms and give me a big hug. But by the time I quit teaching in the year 2020, all that had changed. And there was no longer that, that you could just freely hug a female student. All that had changed. And I find that very sad. I mean, I don't know that we should try to buck against the system, but uh, there's just something so powerful about a human touch. When I was about 23 years old, I had yet another attack of appendicitis, went to the hospital, and I was so sick. And they ended up taking my appendix out. But before they took my appendix out, they dressed me in one of those lovely hospital gowns and uh, put me on a bed. 
And, but I had to get up and go to a sink after they had dressed me like that. So I'm trying to avoid getting too graphic a picture in your mind. <clears throat> if you know what a hospital gown is, then you get the idea. And so I, I was bent over a sink, vomiting my guts out. And one of the nurses who was on duty there just laid her hand on my back. And uh, I thought, that, that is so compassionate. And here's this, here's this man, obviously unattractive at that moment. But she puts all that out of her mind. And, while, you know, and she's, she's moved with compassion. She reaches out her hand and just puts it there on my back until I'm finished vomiting. And here I am, 40 years later, telling you about it. Because sometimes little acts of compassion that involve touch are just so memorable. For much of my early ministry, I would uh, visit in nursing homes all the time. And uh, sometimes I would watch the old people when someone came in with a little child. Oh, their eyes would just brighten and how they wanted to touch that child. But then as I was making my rounds around the, the people who were in the in their beds and in their wheelchairs and so on. They wanted to touch. They wanted to hold hands. They wanted to shake hands. They wanted to pull me down and kiss me on the cheek. It's just so important to touch when you can with appropriateness. Show that you love. There are psychological experiments on what happens to a baby monkey if you completely take it away from its mother and it doesn't even have a soft doll to hang on to, they get messed up. But if you can at least give them a little soft doll to hang on to, then they'll hang on to that and it will evade. They'll, they will miss some of the, the psychological mess up. How wonderful it is to be touched lovingly by a mother, to be held lovingly by a father. What? How scary it must be to be born. And then to just feel those loving hands and those loving arms and to hear that quiet voice speaking to you. I just love it that Jesus reached out and touched him. And even though we have never felt the, the physical touch of Jesus' hand, he has one. And I, I believe that one day when we are in our glorified bodies that there will be that loving touch that we feel from Jesus. Even spiritually now, there have been times when we feel the touch. feel like Jesus is reaching out and saying, other people may think that you're some kind of a vile, unclean, untouchable thing. It's not the way I see you. He reached out and he touched this man. And he said, I will be clean. So now let's turn our attention to the miracle. It says in verse 43, in Jesus, no, verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I like that. It wasn't just a, you're going to get better in the next few days. I don't know how far the leprosy had advanced in this man. One of the bad things about leprosy, and by the way, it is a disease that is still in the world. 
If you're interested in looking it up, you can find even on the CDC website, I, I looked it up, there is a, there's a section that is devoted to leprosy or Hansen's disease. So it's called H-A-N-S-E-N apostrophe S, Hansen's disease. And there are still about 200 cases of leprosy per year in the United States. It can be cured now. There are certain drugs that they give. But still, in Louisiana, there is a place where I think lepers still live there. I'm not sure. But it is a, it is a facility that is dedicated to uh, research and, uh, and treatment of Hansen's disease, which the Bible calls leprosy. By the way, not every skin disease that the Bible calls leprosy is what we would call leprosy. Some of them were probably just the sort of things that we would call severe seborrheic dermatitis or uh, some of those other kind of uh, skin diseases like the, the kind that uh, Dupixent uh, treats and so on. I can't think of the name of the disease. Some of you could call it out right now, but it's okay. Uh, some of those diseases were something that you'd have for a while and then it would go away. And then there was a, a, that cleansing ceremony applied. But as far as I know, what we call leprosy was incurable until fairly recently. And so for this man to be touched by Jesus and then Jesus just to say, I will be clean. And then immediately the leprosy left him. That must have been quite a sight. One of, the th- one of the bad things about leprosy is that you lose your, your, you lose your sense of touch. So you might accidentally put your hand down on a, a hot stove, and you don't even know that it's hot until you smell the burning flesh. And then you raise up your hand, but the damage has already been done, and as a result of that, you might lose your fingers. And I've also seen pictures of lepers who start to lose like the tips of their noses and some of their extremities. I'm not sure why all that happens. But uh, I would gather that if you have been a leper for some time, that you are a pretty pitiful sight. And then what an astounding miracle it would have been to see that, that, that disfigured nose made right. To see those, those crippled, disfigured hands straighten out. To see those awful rashes cleansed and the skin of a little child restored. I, we, don't need, we don't need to just read accounts of stories like this and say, Oh, ho-hum, Jesus healed a leper. Try to put yourself in the place of seeing it happen. Try to put yourself in the skin of that man to whom it happened and feel the wonder of it again. Now, what's the meaning of all this? Well, first of all, you may be struck with the fact that Jesus told the man not to tell anyone. It's going to become obvious when, when you go home and when you call in the door and you call your wife's name. And she comes to the door and says, what are you doing here? And he says, Jesus healed me. Look at me. Where are the kids? Kids, come, look. Daddy's home. Can we touch him? Yes, Jesus healed him. Run to him. Come to my arms, children. 
you run and he holds those children that he hasn't held for years. Jesus can do that sort of thing with, with broken, messed up, leprous lives. Can restore relationships. You know, that, that leprous man had to go outside the village. He had to go outside the town and live by himself. And as I've already intimated, I think all of this is a picture of sin. I think that by God's grace, there are times when you look at your heart in the mirror and you say, what's that little spot? You don't remember it being there a few days before, but now the Holy Spirit has been at work and you're aware that all is not right. And maybe even to this day, you remember that time when you woke up and looked in the mirror and you thought to yourself, there is something desperately wrong in my soul. And then it may be that as the days went by and you thought that you could ignore it, you were like David who thought that he could just deceive himself and deceive everybody else about his, his sin. But all that while, day and night, the Lord's hand was heavy upon you and your strength was dried up as in the drought of summer. And then the day comes when you said, I will arise and go to Jesus. And you go to him and you say, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me of this. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in that hour, Jesus said to you, I will be clean. And you were cleansed from the leprosy that no one else could cure you of, that was sure to just continue to disfigure and deform you throughout all of your life. And now Jesus has done this great miracle of cleansing. He told him, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that have been prescribed and do it as a testimony to them. <clears throat> do it as proof to them. Who's the them? I think it's the people who, I think it's the chief priests who were doubting that Jesus was the Messiah. Go, go show them. Maybe they, maybe they knew this man. Go show them that your, your fingers are straightened out. Go show them that the tip of your nose has grown back. Go show them that all the skin lesions that were on you are gone. And then what will they have to conclude? Well, what they ought to have concluded was the Messiah has come. The great deliverer has come. Who could do something like that unless he were sent from God? But that wasn't, uh, I don't know if that's what the man did. I have my doubts. But if that is what he did, then it was not a very convincing proof because when Jesus was crucified several months after this, it was by the chief priests and the leaders. But today I think this, <clears throat> this sermon comes to us and some of us have been cleansed by Jesus before, but there seems to be a recurring a recurring spot on our soul. And, uh, and so we come to Jesus. And we say, Lord, if you will, you can cleanse me of this. Lord, I want to cooperate fully with you in, in getting this sin out of my life. But if you will, you can make me clean. Or it may be that you may today be thinking about coming to Jesus for the first time. And you said... You know, I've seen that spot on my heart, and I know it's going to spread. And before it spreads any further, just as I am and waiting not, 
to cleanse my soul of one dark blot. To thee, whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Jim Bob, come and lead us in that hymn. Come to Jesus, whatever your case may be. I'm not inviting you to come to the front of the church. I'm saying come to Jesus, who is right there, and will hear your prayer. You say, well, what do I say? Why don't you just take a lesson from this man? Just say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean.